Welcome to Bottomless Rugby, the home of boys, brews and sports balls. This is the main event with Dr. Dup and Jason. We talk about the current hot topic of the week, touch base on interesting news and pick a boykey of the week. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Bottomless Sports Network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services. Let's get into it. So recently there's been quite a lot of talk over the last couple of months, you know, about the Springboks, you know, considering going north. Um, that's sort of been supported by, you know, rumors and talk of, um, you know, Super Rugby coming to an end. And so African franchises are looking to go into an expanded Pro 16. And this week there's a report that came out that apparently Bernard Laporte um, is quite keen to bring in the Springboks into the eight nations to replace Japan that is pulled out of it. Um, this is quite interesting. It makes me think that um, the move for SA to head north is gaining momentum. I kind of feel that if if they are able to bring South Africa into the competition, this could be a trial run to look at the future of rugby. Um, Jason, let me bring you in on that um, just on this first thing, like, what's your initial thoughts on, um, you know, Japan pulling out? Why do you think Japan pulled out? And um, do you think it'll be good for them to bring in the Springboks as opposed to one of the other European countries that are right there? Uh, I get the feeling Japan pulled out. I think they're going through another spark in coronavirus cases. So they're like, they're one of the best, they've been one of the best countries with locking down and getting this thing sorted out. So I think they just said, look, we can't afford to have players traveling over. We need to get this sorted out. So as far as I know, I think that is the reason. And I think it is a blessing in disguise for the Springboks because, I mean, for how many years have we had talk about the SA sides going overseas? Like, it's been going on for a while. And I think this is a prime opportunity and very lucky for us, especially in light of New Zealand saying we're not good enough for Super Rugby anymore. I think... Sorry, is at the point where they're saying, all right, if that's how you feel, we'll chase the money, we'll go up north. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, when it comes to the international scene, it's going to be very difficult for us to go to New Zealand to go and play, um, simply because of the quarantine factor. Um, and we haven't even, contact training just started recently in South Africa, uh, players are going to need uh, a couple of matches. Jogni Naba said he wants six matches at least. And if he doesn't get six matches for the guys, then we're not going to New Zealand. Simple as that. I think I think that is a correct position to take. Now, now that the opportunity is there for us to play in some sort of an expanded eight nations, I think that is quite exciting. And it can be done without us actually having to take any South African-based Springboks over there. We have a lot of players up in the north, and there is a possibility that we can put together some sort of an overseas-based um, Springbok team um, that couldn't double for, I mean, playing in the, in the competition. I think we would still be very competitive. And uh, with the way they want to set this up, I think we could reach the final for it even with our overseas-based players. Um, and the other thing is it would actually create quite you know, like a good opportunity for those overseas-based players to show that uh, 
yeah, I'm here. You should consider me for the proper Springbok team once everything is sorted out. So I think that could be, you know, very beneficial in that way. Like it's easy to pull off in that sense rather than us having to take all the players to go and quarantine. We can just take our coaches up there. They need to quarantine. The other guys have been playing. They fit. They're conditioned. It can be done, you know. Um, so take us through how would this sort of setup work? What have they proposed? So they've proposed having two pools of four. And then the winner of each pool going on to play a final. And that's going to be the final for the uh, to win this, uh, this Eight Nations tournament. The reports currently are that pool one would be England, Ireland, Wales, and Fiji. And pool two was meant to be France, Scotland, Italy, and Japan. Now, if you look at trying to attract the Japanese market on that, it makes sense that they put Japan in what essentially is like the bottom half pool to give them the best chance of getting through. And I think mm, if yeah. that works very well for South Africa going in, like even though we will be missing like half of our first 15, because they're still based in South Africa, I think an overseas block 15 could, could win that pool fairly easily, France being the only big competition and have a good chance at winning that final. So if they stick with the structure, then I think it's prime opportunity again. Right. Um, well, let me just quickly jump in there on the Japan thing. Um, so, so you someone that, um, you know, find conspiracy theories quite appealing. Um, not saying you believe in them, but, you know, it's always interesting to, to consider the, the possibilities. Yeah. Um, so you seem quite convinced that um, this expanded eight nations that they originally proposed with Japan coming in and looking at the way that the pools were set up, that this seemed to be to be sort of that um, promise that Bill Beaumont and uh, Bernard Laporte made to Japan, you know, for for the voting for the the chairman of um, World Rugby, because um, they put them in a very weak pool where, quite frankly, Japan had a good chance to, you know, make it to the final. Do you, do you think some strings were pulled to do that? Yeah, the big thing for me is that it makes no sense why the two theoretically top uh, European sides uh, from the Rugby World Cup, England and Wales, are in the same pool. Like, Wales came fourth in the world. Like, they should theoretically be in the other pool and then have Italy or Scotland swap over. It just doesn't make sense why you'd have such a strong pool and against such a weak pool unless you're trying to give someone more of a clear run through whether that be france which is unlikely or japan because i mean there have been talks for a while of making a seven nations and having japan come in so again it is just theorizing and whatever but just for me it just doesn't make sense why have england wales ireland in one pool together and then uh france scotland italy in the other yeah, I'm with you. Those pools are not balanced at all. And it's clear that um, the one pool is stronger than the other one. But, you know, with the way that this has been set up now, it essentially it means that Japan has, you know, did South Africa a huge favor by pulling out because now it's opened the door for us to come in. Bernard Laporte is keen to bring South Africa into this. And we know that Bernard Laporte has huge influence. I mean, like he, he screwed South Africa over before. Yeah. You know, when, when the voting took place for, for hosting the 2023 World Cup, 
Um, I mean, I'm still very angry at them, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, we're in the situation, we do need to go play rugby somewhere. There's money in the North and in the long run for South Africa to go North, I think is still the best way forward. So Bernard Laporte has this big influence. He's saying, right, he's keen to bring South Africa in. However, Andy Marinos from Sanzar is saying, no, this is rubbish. Uh, the agreements are in place um, for South Africa to play in the rugby championship. Do you think, um, you know, Bernal Laporte is going to be successful to lure us up north? Um, do you think some sort of agreement can be made there by Sanzo? Um or, or do you think, like, we might just say, well, Sanzo, it's been fun, but we out? The big thing is we hold the power in Sanzo. Like, we bring the money in, like, even though we don't win the most rugby championships, we still have more weight to throw around in New Zealand. So if we want to leave, we're going to leave. I think it's simple as that. And we can start uh, travel restrictions. Like, that's the big thing. We can just say, full on, coronavirus is strong in South Africa. We're not going to travel. We're going to take this opportunity for overseas box based in England to play that tournament. And, you know, essentially, you'd be be doing silly things in a pandemic if you sent us over yeah. there. That's the thing we can fall back on and say, look, COVID, bro. Sorry. Yeah. So I think we're definitely going. And I think New Zealand saying they don't want South Africa in the spring tournament was the last straw. Like, there's no way. Like, South Africa, we, we hold grudges. Let's, let's be honest here. Like, we hold grudges against Japan for voting against us. We're going to hold grudges against New Zealand for doing this to us. I think everything is in place for us to say, cheers, thanks for the good time for being up north for the money. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, I mean, given the conditions that the pandemic has created, um, there definitely is room to renegotiate uh, contracts that have been set up, agreements and so forth. Um, this is something that I don't think was uh, planned for. And quite frankly, I'm with you. It would be quite silly you know, to, to send a lot of players over, you know, during this time. It just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, with with New Zealand basically having decided that, yeah, we we don't want South Africa in a super rugby going forward, uh, that to me already seems that, uh, all right, so contracts don't mean that much or that there are clauses there that allows, um, you know, the contracts to be terminated and new ones to be, to be made so i think i think it is possible for us to go north i think we should um you know if we also just consider if, if we just consider this long term like I, I think this could be a little trial run and and if this format or this expanded once of eight nations um you know draws a lot of attention and the quality of rugby is good i think they will be keen to keep south africa in there and it would basically pave the way for us to play regularly in the eight nations. And at the same time, I do think it would be possible for us to to still play New Zealand on a semi-regular basis. Um, like maybe, maybe it's it's time to reconsider like those those tours. You know, um, instead of playing like a competition with them, we can decide all right every two or three years we go over there. We're going to play like a tour. We play you you know three times. Um, over there, and then alternatively, you come to us and and you play us three times, you know, every two or three years. 
Um, that would be fresh, I think. I think those those old days of um, you know the big tours that happened was pretty cool. Um, and these you know more modern day tournaments took that away, and like we we got a little bit tired of, of some of these tournaments. Um, like don't get me wrong, the rugby championship is awesome. I would I would honestly like us to be able to play in both. Although it's not going to happen because they, you know, with with the with the idea of aligning the world calendar, um, you know, between the north and the south, it's likely that the that the eight nations, you know, or whatever six nations would be played at the same time as the rugby championship. So we might be forced to to choose which way we want to play, but it certainly doesn't mean that we would not be able to play New Zealand on a similar regular basis. Because all we need to do is talk to New Zealand and say, do you want to play us? And I'm damn sure the answer is going to be yes, and we'll make it happen. I think it'll also be a good, like the way you could out market it is every year before the World Cup, you have an SA tour to New Zealand or New Zealand tour to SA, and you have it as like a, you build it as like a battle of the giants, like battle of the people most likely to win World Cup. You know, you really hype it up and have it like a, a kind of final preparation thing before the big World Cup. Like, I think you market that way. You draw so much attention and having that gap between us playing it, it's not regular. Like, that's going to make those tests even bigger. Like, obviously not on the same level, but close to a level of, like, how much the Lions tour was regarded. So, like, just making, yeah. it, about, making it less less supply, but you're going to increase the mark. I mean, that's simple economics. Yeah. Well, let, let's also consider the, the financial aspect of um, South Africa going north to play in an expanded eight nations so i feel that the reason they were keen to bring japan in in the first case was uh, the asian market we saw that with the world cup like the, the numbers were absolutely ridiculous and there's you know a lot of hype there, there in japan for for rugby now and there's big money over there now with them pulling out i think it's quite obvious that the next big spender or market that you can pull in is going to be South Africa. We have a massive rugby viewership here in South Africa. And with the time zones, it works perfect for us. Like matches will be played in time, uh, in prime TV TV slots on the Saturday. So, you know, people like Supersport, I think, would be very, very keen on on this. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made. Um, so I, I feel that... More than that, I think they're keen to bring South Africa in simply because the financial aspect of it makes more sense than, for example, a Georgia. Yeah, definitely. We'll bring that money. And we bring the attention. I mean, it's also perfect timing because as World Cup champions, bringing us into the tournament, that's going to bring a lot of interest, bring a lot of a lot of drive in for that as well. Like, In terms of a business decision, I think it's one of the the best you can make, especially since... Like there's not going to be a jet lag coming to South Africa or South Africa going to Europe. Like that's not going to be a worry. Like the only thing it is a change in temperature, like going from snowy England to humid Durban. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, players players will just need to deal with that, you know. But the travel factor, I think, is is the big one here, specifically for South African players. I mean, it's it's a twelve hour flight, you know, to go up to to England. Um, versus probably like twenty four hour flight or to get all the way there to Australia and, and, and New Zealand. So just that makes it a lot easier on our players. I think we'd you know, like jet lag is gonna be less of a factor, travel fatigue, 
less of a factor. I think guys would probably get less injured. Um, you know, simply because the overall well-being of the players are going to improve, um, you know, within the international setup. Um, all right, so before we end this one off, um, kind of want to ask you, do you think this might be a once-off thing? Or do you think this is the foundation of something new long-term um, with us heading north for an eight nations? I think the eight nations itself might be a once-off thing. I'm not sure if they're going to want to have Fiji in you know, permanently or have an eighth team in permanently. I think it's going to depend on how people respond to the two the two pool system. I think it's very likely they could go to a seven nations and keep the play each team once uh, thing and just add South Africa in future. But it, it's all going to depend how this eight nations received, honestly. I think what they might do, right, if you think about it this way, if you can pull in South Africa and Japan, I think you can have an eight nations, quite honestly, right? Because for them, the financial incentive will be huge to bring the two of us in. Um, all they would need to do, I think, is set up the pool structure in the correct way. And there probably should be some sort of a seeding way that uh, that is determined based on your previous year's performance so that the pools are somewhat balanced. Because I think that might be the big issue. You cannot have one pool that is just clearly stronger than the other one. Um, because the difficulty with eight teams is if you're going to have a round robin, that's that's seven weekends just to, to play everyone. So you kind of have to go for some sort of a pool structure. Um, so that to me is going to be the key. I think if they can bring in SA and Japan, they're going to be making a lot of money and they will be keen to do that going forward. I'm quite optimistic. I think this could be a little trial run and we might see something like this going forward for the long term. Yeah, it would definitely be beneficial, even if you look from a tactical viewpoint, because we have so many South Africans and Springboks playing amongst these uh, European sides and they're going to have an idea of how they're going to approach the Six Nations. And it's also having players going to Europe isn't going to be as much of a worry because they're still playing them. They're still in the same tournament. So I think worries about the player drain that is always a problem in South Africa will be lessened because you're going to be earning more money playing in this bigger tournament. Yeah, I, I, th I think it would kind of um, lessen that player drain effect or the stigma at least. Like I've, I've never been opposed to the player drain necessarily because it's a professional sport and players need to go where the money is. Um, if you have an issue with player drain, you need to try and figure out your finances, you know. So um, I, I think that would definitely lessen um, the stigma around the player drain, um, you know, in the long term. Yeah, I, th I think for us playing a little bit north and reducing the traveling time would be beneficial in the long run. Uh, but yeah, any final thoughts on that? Um, my final thoughts are I do think this is going to happen I think South Africa are going to force it I think the relationship between us and the other Sanzor nations has just become you know, a bit strained at this point and I, I think it's time for change I think they agree with that as well that's why they kicked us out of Super Rugby so I think this is the best way forward for everyone especially with travel stuff and for us financially yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that if we do get to play in this eight nations, that we'll likely play in the final and we could win it first off. Um, that's how I feel about it. Even with an overseas-based Springbok team, I think 
we can do it because if you have Jock Nienov and Rusty Rasmus going over there to coach those guys, um, like we, we know how, how good as the coaches they are. So I think it's very possible that, uh, yeah, we'll play in the final, maybe even win it. So definitely, guys, do bring us in. We want a trophy to win. Our Boyki of the Week. Billy Leroux, right? So we just got um, a, a news article came through. So a close friend of Billy Leroux revealed that apparently, well, I mean, not apparently, that he was injured and he played with a shoulder injury throughout all the playoff games, right? So he picked up a shoulder injury and they even posted like a little um, x-ray on the website. You can go find that on SA Rugby Mag. Um, and you can see that his clavicle um, clearly, or if those who don't know what a clavicle is, it's a um, shoulder blade, right? And you can see that there's a fracture, clear as day, right? So, Vili LaRue, not only did he have to deal with all the media and fan scrutiny about his performances during that time period, but he picked up an injury and then he played through it all of that culminating, you know, to his best performance of the tournament in the final. We never knew that he had this injury. So, you know, he's making our boykey of the team for being modern day Andre Hubert. Uh, Jason, what do you think about this feat that Billy LaRue did? You know, like we know playing through even a minor injury in rugby, which is a high intensity game, is, it's hard. Like it's really hard to do. And he did that at the highest level against top, top quality teams and didn't even have the game of his life in that final. So it's it's incredible. I, I do think it was risky, especially if that uh, fracture had gone to a full break. And um, I'm not the knowledge isn't that great, but I'm pretty sure if that bone went the wrong way, it could uh, get close to the lungs. Um, it was high risk there, but obviously they would have checked it out. But yeah. It's it's immense for him to play like that with that kind of injury. I mad respect for the guy. Yeah, I mean, LaRue even went to Rossi and he said that, you know, he was afraid that his injury could negatively affect his game at a critical stage in the final, um, which is a realistic fear for him to have at that time. Um, like, I'm just very thankful that, you know, this really nothing happened uh, to, to worsen the injury. Because um, we take all player welfare very seriously. Like, we don't want to see anyone pick up a serious injury. Um, so I'm just very happy that nothing serious did happen. And, you know, like, he, he managed to get through that without doing more damage, I suppose, or without at least having a severe injury at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, this is this is actually quite remarkable. Like, I, I, it really must have been uncomfortable for him as well, you know. Let's give some respect to Rossi as well. Not only did he say, and I back you for this, the man made a highlight real Villarreal's game and played it in front of the team <laughs> to hype them up to play in that final. Rossi knows how to motivate guys. He's like, look, you're good. Go. No, for sure. Rossi definitely understands his players. Um, yeah. And and I'm I'm very sure that, that Villy, you know, like he must have felt so reassured to have Rossi and the teams um, backing him, you know, even you know, being somewhat injured, they were all like, we'll rather have you there, you know, than not there. Um, so definitely, yeah, the team really supported him well. I take my hat off him. It, you know, playing with, with an injury is not, 
not easy. I've done that before, you know, with, with a fracture in a foot. Uh, it is extremely uncomfortable. And like you, you know, with a psychology background, you can just imagine, you know, his headspace going into that, knowing that his shoulder is damaged. And if he has to go and tackle someone, you know, the risk that he's taking. Like, like there's a lot of factors to this that he would have had to deal with in those matches. Yeah, I mean, I played with a dislocated collarbone once, and it feels like you can't do anything with that arm. So, I mean, he, in that level that he's at, the pressure you're already on going into a final, I mean, incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. No, Vili, he's Easter. Um, like, like we just, we're happy it, it didn't get more serious and that things are right, man. So, you're sliding into our 15. Um, Cool. Modern day Andre Ubat. I kind of like that. Um, it's to, to me, it's always interesting how these um, cyclical patterns come up. And once again, there's something that previously happened in Isarapi where 95 Andre Ubat basically played with a broken hand um, at 15 for South Africa. And this time, Billy LeBru is playing with basically a broken shoulder. Um, so once again, the 15s are coming through strong in the finals. So awesome to have you in our team. Thank you for joining us and we hope you liked this episode of the main event. Please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services and leave us a comment. So until next week, stay away from your boys, wash your hands often, drink lots of water and stay safe. <laughs>